0: KP. KPC. News. Information. Culture. KPCC.
1: California Sensibility.
0: Hi, I'm Rebecca Lair. And I'm Amy Choi, and we are the Mashup
1: Americans. Okay, so, Ames, I -hmm. think you're going to like this. Every once in a while, somebody will come up to me or write to me and say, like, it's so great that you're doing journalism. Mm -hmm. And I basically (laughs) am like, that is just not true. I'm not a journalist. (laughs) Um, And you come from a journalism background, so you can understand. It's true, I'm a journalist. See, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. And I have no pretenses of it. And I also, I'm really clear about what my perspective is. That brings me to this idea that we both share, which is that Maybe there's no neutral, actually, right? There's not really an objective point of view either way.
0: Totally, and I think that's one of the things that is so contrarian to journalists. Like one of the big philosophical tenets of journalism is that, like, we can always be objective, but we all live within our own biases, our own perspectives, our own lives. And I think the best thing you can do as a journalist, should you ever decide to become one, and also, <laughs> you know, just like the best thing you can do as a human being is to recognize our own biases and be empathetic, and open to hearing other people's stories.
1: That brings me to our guest today, the magnificent Maria Inahosa. Oh, love her. <laughs> You've probably heard her on NPR. She is the host of Latino USA. She is the president and founder of Futuro Media Group. She has this amazing career as a journalist, but she's telling other people's Stories. And she doesn't do it just in contrast to here's the neutral mainstream story and here's the minority or mashup response. She's telling those stories as they have their
0: own value. Totally. She is 100 percent telling the stories of a real America, like painting a picture of what our country looks like. Um, She has a new election special coming up. It's called The New Deciders, and it digs into what really matters to mashup Americans in this election. She's talking to black millennials, Latino evangelicals, Asian-American politicians, um, and she just has this incredibly rich Collection of stories that everybody's going to get to see on PBS next week. So, we went up to her offices in Harlem to talk about the election special, but also to talk about, you know, Harlem, how much she loves chocolate, which we were like, <laughs> we do too. So, and her family. And her family. <laughs> and we had a great conversation. And Yoy. And
1: So, Maria, how do you mash up? Every day? Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) No, I mean, I literally
2: mash up every day because everything from the moment that I wake up is like a mashup. Um, You know, I wake up and there's jazz playing on the radio, which is on 24 hours. I'm making café bustelo. Mm -hmm. It is decaf, but I am drinking my café bustelo. You know, my kids are mashed up because they're Dominican, Mexican, American, right? So And New Yorkers, to boot. You know, I mash up in the sense that my, my son's best friends now are mostly Muslim from Somalia and from Pakistan, but he's studying Chinese, yeah, and he wants to go, you know, do a semester abroad in Paris to look at fashion. You know, right outside on the street corner, there are women in full African attire who sit outside of the, the subway stop on 125th Street, the A train, you know, that historic train, and they are looking for women to braid their hair. Yeah. So they look at me and they're just like, oh, she's just part of the neighborhood. Like, yeah. they're not making an offer to do my hair
1: because they see me every day. You're like, wait, I'm actually, I'm on a vacation in Jamaica. <laughs> right. So I'm just like a white girl on vacation. I need my braids no. then. done.
2: And then, no. and then, you know, and then... Right, no. And then, you know, there's a taco truck right outside. Yeah. You know, I mash up because my mom lives part of the year in Mexico. And so... She's now in Chicago, and so we're, we're like, you know, she's now doing the Chicago thing. When a month ago she was in Mexico, solamente
0: hablándome como bien, mamá mexicana, you know, and all of a yeah. sudden now
2: she's in Chicago and she's talking English with me with her yeah. Chicago
0: accent. <laughs> So I grew up in Chicago. There's always these like lists because I think people have Chicago people have angst about New York in some way. But like what's better in Chicago or what's better in New York? And there was recently a story on like what's the one thing that New Yorkers who are from Chicago miss? And it's the tamales. Really? And the Mexican food. Mexican
2: food in New York is the worst. So I'll just have you know that I have been importing my tortillas from Chicago. Thank you. For about (laughs) 35 years. Um, Even still now. I try not to eat too many tortillas, but I have boxes. Can't stop me. I have boxes being sent from Chicago. Really? From where? From who? Um, I guess it's secret. product placement, but it's um, El Milagro Tortillas.
0: Yes!
2: Um. Yeah. Well, so. if
0: it counts, my mother-in-law recently just brought a shipment of her tortillas because my husband obviously can't live without them. So she comes with their, it's like a Ziploc bag with two yeah. paper plates and like 15 tortillas. You freeze them. And yeah. then we freeze them. Yeah. 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 So she brings like, it's her whole luggage. She goes back home with this empty my luggage. my family, it's pupusas, but we live in LA, so like when my cousins were living in D.C., where there's
1: also a Salvadoran population, but they would still come back to school with like a, a bag full of them, and then just like they have a special freezer Duh. just for their pupusas. And it's and and really queso important. Yeah, <laughs> you so, have to so, know. So imagine
2: if, you know, if in our United States, these would be the conversations that we would be having, exactly right about like, oh my god, the the Afghani tamale maker, yeah. or you know, the bagel store down the street yeah. that is owned by Filipinos, but the people who make the bagels are Colombians and Mexicans. Yes, you know, or the fact that Absolute you have kimchi, exactly. You know, kimchi, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, kimchi tacos, and it's. Yeah. I mean, like, like imagine if we would sit around and talk
1: about all the possibilities of yeah. what we could do. We want to do a quick speed round with you. What's always in your fridge? These days, kale, Brussels sprouts, <laughs>
2: tortillas. Um, tortillas. Del milagro. From Del milagro. And now my daughter's doing a lot of almond milk. Um, what is your comfort food? My comfort food is popcorn with salt and dark chocolate. Yes. What do you spend money on that your parents never would? I mean, my guilty pleasures are um, expensive body soap and expensive <laughs> um, toothpaste. <laughs>
1: Toothpaste
0: what's your brand can be expensive Mar-
1: marvis Mar- what's that <laughs> one? You, you named it yeah that's my that's, brand i don't even know i don't even know how much it costs but every time i see it in someone's house i'm like this is a fancy toothpaste. it's a fancy toothpaste <laughs> and i've got this thing about toothpaste
2: from europe that i'm just like yeah you know i want to find the perfect toothpaste from europe and so yes yeah. i do spend <laughs> more money on that toothpaste than i should and then i i do um bliss Oh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I use the best vintage. body soap. I do, I'm very Mexican, so I do water it down halfway. So I go, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm so And like, by Mexican, I mean smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My <laughs> yeah, super expensive body wash, but then I water it down so that it lasts twice as yeah, long.
1: Yeah, uh, so now it's just the same price as normal. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your favorite swear word? One that comes out
2: a lot is just coño. Mm. It just comes out a lot. And mm. I know that it's kind of insulting for people. Yeah. Um, But it is, and it's not very Mexican. It's From the Dominican Republic, right. you know, From my husband, yeah, <laughs> that that is the one that comes out the most.
1: Mine is Puchica, which is only oh,
0: Salvadoran,
2: well, of course. Well, but I I was, that, so what I didn't know that, when I was, was almost it, gonna marry a Salvadoran, it was like
1: Puch, it always, yeah, you gotta go, Puchica. Puchica. Yeah, yeah, always. <laughs> I always thought that that was just a normal Spanish, just not, it's just Salvadoran <laughs> only. Gotta testify, come up in the spot looking extra flat. For the day I die i am going touch sky. Hola Please give us Cinco Estrellas on iTunes It helps people find us And it also makes us feel really good iTunes.com slash mashup Cinco Estrellas Gracias
0: Like just getting off of the subway And walking to the office It was this kind of incredible And immediate immersion in Mashup America you know, we think that we're really lucky. We li- we're we like in L.A. and we're in New York that we're already in such a diverse community and, and more so than I think in a lot of places in the U.S. But here you really feel it and see it and smell it and hear it more than anywhere else.
2: So that's why we wanted to be in Harlem. I mean, I live in Harlem. I have for almost 20 years now. But the whole idea behind having the company Futuro Media Group based in Harlem on 125th Street, was essentially to say we produce national
1: media from this location. So your new series coming out is called The New Deciders. What does it mean to be a decider in the US? Is kind of is it wealth and then therefore an ability to make change or have influence? I mean what is, when you think about The New Deciders, what what does that mean? The emphasis for this PBS election special is about how Um,
2: People of color, immigrants, uh, Muslim Americans, Arab Americans, Latino, evangelicals, um, how they're getting engaged, right? They have been deciders in the past. Right. In many ways, because of the nature of the election campaign this year, um, a lot of them are being pushed into being new deciders. Right. Like maybe there are people who were not necessarily engaged, did not necessarily think about voting as an important manifestation of their Mm. civic participation. But if you are Arab American in Cleveland, if you are Muslim American in Cleveland, and these are communities that have been there for a long time, but all of a sudden, it's like now you're being called out because you're wearing a headscarf. Even though you've you've grown up in this community and there was never any issue around the fact that your family was practicing Muslim, but now, as a teenager, now you're being made fun of because you're wearing a headscarf how did that happen where it was okay? And now all of a sudden people are, there's a certain element of Islamophobia. Right. Right. Now those people are getting engaged. Yeah. And saying we need, our voice needs to be heard. So it's like, they've been here. These are not necessarily new communities. Yeah. But because of this particular electoral dynamic, many of them are feeling like we've got to get engaged now. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. those are the stories that we're telling. It's about the now.
0: Well, so I think I mean when in talking about those communities in the in the new series, so we have uh, Black millennials, Latino evangelicals, um, this Arab American community in the Midwest, Asian American politicians becoming more active. You know, what are the kind of overall forces that are shaping all this activism? You said, is it is it. The political climate, like just the political climate right now, like what is pushing all of them, these groups now to the forefront?
2: I mean, this is an election year, right? So I think this wouldn't be happening in 2015, for Mm -hmm. example. I mean, it started in 2015. There is a feeling like what is happening politically is so kind of unpredictable and new that it is sparking conversations. Mm -hmm. So, for example... um, with Arab Americans and Muslim Americans in Cleveland it's sparking the conversation of like well okay we're going to start doing voter registration right after we do prayer at mosque mm. and even though people may have been on the fence about registering to vote before thinking that they sh- yeah it didn't really matter now they're taking a second look mm-hmm. that's a direct result of the historical moment that we're living in What are you most optimistic about with the new deciders? That you find political engagement in the places where, you know, you just didn't imagine that it would be.
1: Mm.
2: Um, And I feel so blessed to be able to see that, whether I'm in Orange County, California, or whether I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina, or whether I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, or in um, Orlando, Florida. You know, to just see individual people who are making decisions about getting involved. Like, I love that.
0: We hear the insanity happening with Voldemort. (laughs) He who shall not be named. And, you know, as a Latina, what do you as like a person feel when you hear something like, well, there's going to be a wall built or all of the xenophobic racist things, just like blatantly racist that are being batted around as if this were dialogue? Or if this is conversation.
2: So it's interesting. When you ask me, like, if I take off my journalist hat and I'm, I'm thinking about this, you know, I'm a mom. Right. So I'm thinking about how this is impacting my kids. And my kids are not little kids. My son is 20. My daughter's 18. Um, so they're deeply aware.
0: And they're voting in their first
2: and presidential. And they will both be voting in their first presidential election. I think about what all of this, the kind of impact that it's having on them long term um, the things that are boiling up to the surface because of the kind of rhetoric that we're hearing um, and what that means in terms of how they're going to have to engage in a society that may look at them as, in turn, at some point, the future and hopeful and positive. And in other moments, um, there will be others who see them as a threat mm-hmm. because they are young Latinos, they're millennials, they're um, going to vote, Their parents are immigrants, um, and so some people might look at them and say, you know, your your parents shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. I mean, you know, I'm Mexican. My husband is from the Dominican Republic, but I'm Mexican. So for them, the wall is real. When they say that, they understand. Oh, you're trying to build a wall between the United States where I was born and the country, my mother's country, Mm -hmm. where my grandmother lives. As an American, I refuse to let any politician... Um, instill a sense of fear in me in terms of my country.
1: Just about your American story, becoming an American. When did that happen? And did being a journalist have something to do with deciding to become an American? So
2: the American citizen decision happened in the late 1980s for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And truly, it happened because I was very happy traveling with my green card and my green Mexican passport. I loved it. I felt like I had the best of both worlds.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But one day in the mid nineteen eighties, um, when I was actually doing budding journalism as a college student and I was reporting about Central American refugees, like we are now, but this is at the height of um right, of, the war. Of, of the wars in Central America. Mm-hmm. And I came back to the United States, I, I flew in from I don't know what country and I, you know, got into JFK and I just had this moment where I felt like oh, my gosh, one day I'm going to be coming through that line and they're going to take my green card and they're going to say, yeah, no, mm. no, nope. yeah, your green card has been revoked. Mm. And that I'm standing there like, what, what do you mean? And they're like, yep, sorry, it's been revoked. And so that was the thing that made me say, hold on a second. Mm. I never want that to happen. And I never want to be in that position. So actually, it was a little bit of like, oh, I don't know if I can feel really protected without
1: mm.
2: my citizenship. Like, I, I really was going to be coming back to this country. Yeah. Not this illusion, like, one day I'm just going to pick it all up and move to Mexico. Like, right. I had to realize, like, no, you live here. So that was the American citizenship part. And, and of course, because I was also a journalist, just like, like I can't be reporting on people voting and not be able to do that myself. Mm. And, you know, so there was that. The becoming an American, per se, I think it was probably when I was getting ready to give birth to my son. Hmm. And when I was telling my husband, well, I don't know, you know, I really loved growing up with my Mexican passport. You know, maybe I should go to Mexico and have my baby. Um, maybe we should go to the Dominican Republic and have the baby there because, oh my God, that means that the child will have a sense of like their international roots yeah. and presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my husband just looked at me and he said, you're crazy. <laughs> Why would you think about having a child in any place that you don't know well, where you don't know the healthcare system, where, et cetera, et cetera? The child is, is from here,
1: mm-hmm. and we
2: are from here. And this baby that will be born in New York is a New Yorker, and this is who we are. Yeah. And it was almost that simple for my husband yeah. to say, we need to own that we're Americans. Yeah, And then I was like, okay. I've traveled all 50 states plus two territories, Guam and Puerto Rico. And when I move in the United States, I actually don't move from a place of fear. I move from a place of I can engage anyone. I can talk to anyone. I can ask anyone anything. I am a part and parcel of this country. I encounter a lot of ignorance. But in many times, the ignorance that I encounter is not necessarily met with equal amounts of kind of hatred of ignorance but i think that there isn't this like knee-jerk hatred Mm -hmm. um and so i feel very hopeful yeah Uh, and it makes me want to do more of the work that i do
0: you know that i think that's incredibly moving and as the a mom, I completely relate to that idea of like, you know, when you gave birth to your son, you were like, okay, this is, we are in it now. Like, this is real. What advice would you give to other parents who are seeing this happen with their kids? Like, I know people who have like 10-year-olds who come back home and they're they're afraid. They're like, do I have to, are we gonna have to leave, mommy? And that's terrifying. It is terrifying. Um, and actually,
2: what's really scary is that when I was six years old, I was having that same conversation because way back then in history, um, George Wallace was running for president. Mm. And George Wallace was the one who was making those kinds of veiled threats. And so I did, when I was six years old, wonder and speak to my family about, are we going to have to leave? So the thought that, you know, almost 50 years later, you're having the same exact conversations. Mm. I mean, it's horrible. I mean, my, my daughter in high school was hearing Mexican jokes being told to her. And this was before Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So um, I think you have to surround yourself with um, community, with families who share your kind of outlook on life. And of course, that means families of every diverse background to build up your sense of community wherever you are. And in that sense, try to stake our claim for our country. We, you know, how do you respond to hatred it's very difficult you know I mean the only way that you can respond is by saying we're filled with love and we're the future and we're not afraid of you and don't be afraid of us yeah but that's really simplistic when your child come ho- comes home and says mom somebody built a wall in my school
0: mm. oh, as a prank God.
2: which we know happened right in I believe it was North Carolina how do you soothe that pain mm. I don't think there is a silver bullet. And so we need to be prepared for the suffering of our children, of our colleagues, of our friends and families who are gonna come back and say, I feel targeted, I don't feel welcome, I feel unsafe. Um, We're gonna have to find a way to soothe that. Hmm. I mean, the other response is stand up and be counted. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's kind of trite, but Mm -mm. this this is the time to jump in yeah. it's not the time to pull back it's the time to jump in and that that is part of our healing and I think that um, that's what democracy looks like
0: to see and be seen on every level right yeah we want to hear about what's important to you this election so come join us at facebook.com slash americans and tell us your stories Do you ever feel
1: like you have to or do speak for all Latinos when you have this voice or all Mexican-Americans? I feel a tremendous weight <laughs> on my
2: shoulders. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, you know, I'm just me, right? Like, uh, as my daughter says, mom, less Maria Inojosa, more mom. <laughs> so, you know, if I'm just like the mom, I just want to be close to my family and my kids and, and feel safe. The Maria Hinojosa part of me feels like I have to jump in. I have to say certain things. I do not believe I'm a representative of anything except for my own experience. But, you know, I've been around the block enough that when I say certain things, I know that they're resonating. So, for example, just recently... I was part of a public conversation around um, journalism and the whole question of objectivity and subjectivity came in. And I just said, well, you know, for us, the big question is, who's the decider, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who gets to decide what is 100% right. clean objective?
1: Well, don't you know that only white male judges are the most objective <laughs> judges? Exactly. That's so what I recently learned.
2: Right. So then it's yeah. just like,
1: oh, OK, so you guys get to own objectivity. Yeah.
2: Well, clearly, no. Yeah. Like, that's what the beauty of what we're living through is, right. which is just just be able to ma- raise those questions. So in that sense, um, you know, when I put on my I'm representing hat, I feel like I ask those questions and I, and I pose those challenging issues, um, not for me personally, but rather for all of us. Yeah. And I think that the truth is, is that a lot of us feel like we're reluctant leaders We don't speak for entire communities. We can't. We're so complex. I mean, but at the same time, we are being held up. Like, say something. So you have to own your responsibility and at the same time be really humble and just Be like, I don't really want to speak for everybody. This is kind of how I'm feeling.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And who you are does also inform the kinds of stories that you seek out. So we were, you know, thinking about this. We started off this whole conversation being like, wow, Harlem, like this energy, the all the cultures that you see outside, all the languages that you hear. And this is the place from which you're telling these stories. So you already are kind of infused with that all the time and thinking about that when you're seeking stories. It's not just that the only interesting story out there happens to be about like a white straight man who has something interesting happen to them.
2: Exactly, which again, which is why we were adamant in that we wanted to be in a community. I mean, it's lucky that it's a historical community like Harlem, but we wanted to be in a community that represents total diversity to say this is where national journalism can be produced. And we can produce it. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you so
0: much for Thank you, Maria. talking to
1: us. We're so excited for you to tell these stories. And it's my
0: pleasure. I feel pumped. Yeah. I can't wait to vote now. I'm like, woo! <laughs> yeah. Ready to go. <laughs> All Yay,
2: we need that.
1: That was Maria Inahosa, president of Futuro Media Group, and executive producer and host of Latino USA. Check her out on Twitter at Maria
0: underscore inahosa. I am fired up. I'm ready to get my notebook, get on the road, go to press conferences, be a journalist. Oh, really? Are you really? No, not really. But I'll watch Maria do it. Yeah, I think let's leave
1: that to her. We do our thing. (laughs) So everyone check out Maria's election special called The New Deciders on PBS. Or you can always just take the 2-3 train and visit her and the other crew at Futuro Media Group in Harlem. It's... Pretty dope up there. It is
0: so dope. The Mashable Americans are me, Amy Choi. And me, Rebecca Lair.
1: Our producer today was Jocelyn Gonzalez. Our show is produced by American Public Media and
0: Southern California Public Radio KPCC. We're also supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Later. Bye!